Welcome to The Way Home Podcast, a conversation about church, community, and culture. I'm your host, Dan Darling, here in Nashville, Tennessee. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jeff Orge. Dr. Orge serves as the president of Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary in California. Prior to joining Golden Gate, Dr. Orge began his career in pastoral ministry, pastoring in Missouri and Texas before becoming the founding pastor of one of the largest churches, the largest SBC churches in the Northwest. Uh, Dr. Orge is the author of six books, including his latest, Is God Calling Me? Uh, Today, we'll talk with Dr. Orge about his journey in denominational ministry, about his work at Golden Gate Seminary, and about the topic of marriage. Dr. Orge has written and spoken pretty eloquently in the last several years about how Christians can embody biblical marriage in an increasingly post-marriage culture. Before we begin our conversation, however, I want to remind you about an exciting new resource we have here at the ERLC. It's a new book entitled Women on Life, edited by my colleague Trillia Newbell. Trillia compiled a great list of leading female Christian voices and really asked them their thoughts on what it means to really be pro-life for all of life. This is a really important book, a good resource for churches and small groups and individual study. You can order Women on Life by going to my website and clicking on the link there. Women on Life is available in print and all major ebook formats, so I encourage you to get a copy of it today. But for now, let's join Dr. Jeff Ward. Well, Dr. Jeff Orge, thanks for joining me here on the Way Home Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So I want to talk to you. uh, You're president of Southern Baptist Seminary there in California and have been sort of on the leading edge of some of the cultural shifts, uh, shifts happening not just in California, but around the country, and have written and spoken on, on some of those things. And so I guess my first question to you is, when you think about leadership today, particularly spiritual leadership, church leadership, in a culture and climate that might be different than a generation ago, how are you uh, helping young leaders think through this current climate? Well, first of all, it is, it is a challenging climate, but we, we focus primarily on doing what we've always done, and that is training church leaders to uh, stick with Scripture and to stay with uh, closely aligned with what the Bible teaches about life and about social issues and about all kinds of church function. Um, that that just simply never changes. And so the real challenge we have is, uh, while everything seems to be coming unraveled around us, how do we teach students to hold on to the core of that? And then how do we teach them to translate biblical truth into the challenging situations that they're facing uh, on a daily basis? And honestly, I don't find the climate that we're in to be um, adversarial to that. I find it actually to be sort of invigorating for it. Mm. Because the uh, the gospel always is true, and it always works, and the Christian faith is always uh, the best ethical and moral choice. And so living those things out in a context where that's very difficult just seems to me to be to draw greater contrast uh, to what we're really trying to accomplish rather than compromise it in any way. So I, I really like the, the opportunity that we've been given, and it seems to be a healthy place to try to train leaders. Yeah, it's, it seems like, on the one hand, you know, we, we lament some of the shifts in the culture, particularly on marriage and family issues, because of the, the fallout that, that will happen, you know, for children and for human flourishing. And at the same time, it seems, as you're saying, a fresh opportunity, right, to show the distinctiveness of the gospel. Absolutely right. The, there's no question but that uh, issues like same-sex marriage are, are devastating for our culture. There, there's no question about that. 
But rather than lament how bad that is, uh, we've tried to help students and uh, uh, to help students understand that it's a real opportunity for the gospel. Uh, I believe churches in the next generation can be what I've called islands of sanity, sort mm-hmm. of in a sea of moral confusion. You, mm-hmm. you know, you can build a church that that really is attractive to people and causes people to see that as a place of refuge and hope and stability when everything else seems to be so uh, so chaotic around around people. So, uh, yeah, it's challenging, but on the other hand, it's a fantastic opportunity. Yeah, it really echoes some of the things that I've seen in, in traveling just around the country and talking to a lot of young pastors and church leaders, that it seems like this generation is not surprised by the fact that when they will go plant a church or you know preach the gospel, that it it's going to be met with pushback in the culture that it's countercultural. There doesn't seem to be an expectation that the culture is going to just automatically affirm what they believe. That's a good. That's a good observation. I think you're right. Most people that are training in ministry today assume they're going to be in an adversarial situation that's going to be very challenging. And I'm impressed with their capacity for sacrifice and their willingness to to take on these kind of challenges. It really is humbling to to see that in the next generation of coming leaders, and I'm actually quite hopeful about that generation. I'm not pessimistic at all about uh, the future or about the leaders that are coming into their own, so to speak, now in the in Southern Baptist life, or really even broader in evangelical life. Uh, I see it as a good day coming for those leaders because of the the fortitude they demonstrate in being willing to go forward in the context where ministry is going to be even more challenging than ever before. One of the things about the the culture that's changing that we might see as positive is kind of shifting demographics, you know, where it seems like God is bringing the nations to to our doorstep rather than us having to go to the nations, which we still need to do. And so are you seeing that dynamic uh, at work, too, among the, the leaders you're sending out, that there's a real hunger for kind of multicultural churches and multiracial congregations? This is a place where, in California, we're probably ahead of the curve in terms of where many uh, Christians live in America today. I haven't, I've been a member of a multicultural church for more than a decade. Uh, there's, I think, a pastor, last count in our church, attendance about 400. I think we count about 42 racial or ethnic uh, uh, groups represented in our church. It's very common here in California to be in multi-ethnic and multiracial and multicultural churches, and so that is uh, more the norm, I guess you might say, for those of us who are here on the West Coast, and, and probably a growing norm for those on the East Coast, and things tend to start on the coast and kind of gravitate toward the center of the country. So I think, yes, it's probably likely to be something that's more uh, common in the future as leaders are more and more comfortable working in that, that kind of environment and actually more and more intentional about choosing those kind of environments in which to work and more and more intentional about mentoring and bringing along leaders who can represent those various groups in the leadership structures of the churches that they're starting or that they're, that they're building. So, yes, I do definitely see that as part of the future and a really desirable part. I, at our seminary, only about 40 to 45% of our students are Anglo. And we've been uh, an Anglo minority for, gosh, more than 20 years here at Golden Gate. And that is a really enriching environment when you have all kinds of people, 
uh, teaching and ministering and leading and working and really learning how to do that uh, is both challenging and invigorating as you develop a much broader perspective on global Christianity than you have if you're a monocultural ministry. Mm. What are some of the challenges you're seeing as you look at Christian higher ed? You've been in Christian higher ed for a while and have kind of seen the landscape. What are some of the challenges you're seeing for the next uh, several decades uh, for for Christian higher ed? Well, there's there's several, and you could go down any one of these paths and find a set of challenges and solutions. I would say the first challenge is clearly articulating our mission, which is expanding God's kingdom and not becoming too enamored with educational attainment as the ultimate goal of educational process for ministry leaders. Uh, ministerial education is about producing people who can uh, preach the gospel, who can organize Christian ministry to expand, who can uh, make disciples of people of all ages and all backgrounds. I think uh, one of the temptations I see that alarms me is the uh, the, the subtle uh, feeling that if we're just better educated, then we've somehow accomplished our, our mission. And that really isn't our mission. Our mission is producing people who can actually lead in the expansion of God's kingdom. And so that's the first challenge I see is just maintaining a mission focus and keeping a focus on what we're really trying to accomplish, which is not just be better educated clergymen, uh, but to be really effective leaders in God's kingdom. And a second big challenge, uh, which would be a whole other path to go down, is just the financial realities. Mm -hmm. Um, As seminaries, particularly, and colleges get more and more expensive, they tend to price out the middle and lower middle and even the poor. Uh, and that's a tragedy because uh, we cannot afford to become an elitist movement in any capacity. We have to find a way to train people for leadership at all socioeconomic levels, and doing that um, in an economy that continually drives things to cost more and more is, is a really serious concern for many of us. And so those are sort of two broad areas, and there are a dozen others I could probably think of, but um, that's two big areas that really are of major concern to me. One question that many in Christian higher ed are asking, and I'm sure you're evaluating too, is just the tensions with the institution's mission, you know, which may be at odds with kind of changing social norms. So, for instance, on this issue of same-sex marriage, you know, there's a, there's a real question, a real tensions, I think, with will Christian higher education institutions still be able to keep accreditation, accept Pell Grants in, in an environment where you know, not affirming same-sex marriage is seen as kind of a, a form of bigotry in many ways. Yes, that is a serious problem. And schools that accept federal funding in any form are going to face more challenging dilemmas about this than those of us who don't accept federal funding. Uh, the the colleges, uh, particularly, that depend on various kinds of student aid that's governmental con- governmentally connected really are facing and are going to face really uh, challenging situations. And my hope is that they will stand by what's uh, clearly, biblically, and I think ethically essential, and that is a traditional position on marriage. Uh, But unfortunately, some may compromise that in order to keep the money, and that'll be a tragedy if it happens. There are a number of schools, though, particularly seminaries like ours, that don't accept any federal funding of any kind or any student aid that's governmentally uh, generated. And so we're in a different position, and I think a much healthier position, but the challenge we're going to face is maintaining a, an economic model that, that allows us to keep doing that while at the same time keeping costs to students as low as possible. 
how are you uh, training and educating pastors and church leaders, particularly to help raise theological education in churches? So, for instance, I'm thinking of, you know, many people are going to go off to seminary, but many people who are sort of Christian laymen, for lack of a better term, I don't really like that term, but uh, that's what's used, who, you know, are probably not going to go to seminary, but want to learn and, and go deep and uh, have some theological education. And it seems like there's churches more and more trying to bring this kind of education down to the local church level. Is this something that that people who are graduating that are thinking about as they go plant churches and, and uh, lead in the local church? Well, there, there are really two answers to that. First, we we must produce church leaders, and we're trying to do that at our school, who understand the educational responsibility of a local church. Mm-hmm. I think back a generation or so ago when I first started in ministry, uh, churches were proud to have fully-orbed educational programs that included uh, a generalist approach like Sunday school and more of a specific approach like discipleship training or some kind mm-hmm. of program that really focused on doctrine and on personal development and on um, a ministry skill development and on churchmanship. And we moved dramatically away from those things in the last generation to where now many churches have a Sunday morning worship service only, uh, coupled with a small group structure that's fellowship-oriented. And they've abandoned the, the serious teaching ministry the church is, I think, responsible to maintain. And so while I'm not advocating for the rebirth of any old programs, I am saying and we say regularly to our students that you must have an educational and discipleship development strategy in your church that culminates in taking those who are at your leadership level into some pretty serious discussions of theology and church life and ministry function. And so, yes, we're completely committed to that and feel that's a very important part of future church development. And then the second thing is that uh, there's never been a time when, when seminary was more accessible to more people. And I think that uh, you're seeing a burgeoning opportunity for student or for for a potential students uh, to con- to connect with seminaries through online programs, through intensive courses, through other kinds of distance learning, and that's not going away. It's only going to expand. And so I think not only is the church responsible to do what I've described, but the church also has the opportunity to plug people into um, theological higher education like never before at a high level of quality and engagement. And I think both those things will continue into the future as viable training methods for churches in theological education. That's uh, really encouraging to see. Uh, that's one of the things that I, I think about quite a bit is just how to how to get theological education down to the level of, of lay people. And uh, really grateful for your leadership there at the seminary in California at Golden Gate. And uh, grateful for what God is doing through you, and thank you. I appreciate you for joining me on the the Way Home podcast. Okay, thanks very much. I want to thank Dr. Orch for that great conversation on denominational leadership and what is going on at Golden Gate Seminary, and also how Christians can embody biblical marriage in an increasingly post-marriage culture. Uh, If you enjoyed this conversation, would you let us know by sending us an email to wayhome at erlc.com or writing a review on iTunes? Uh, This just helps us spread the word about the podcast. I also want to remind you that Women on Life is available on the ERLC website or on my website by clicking on the link there. But for now, thank you for listening to the Way Home podcast. The Way Home is recorded and produced by Gary Lancaster. Research is conducted by David Clausen, and scheduling is handled by Marie Delph. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.